ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. into the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. It's a Tuesday. Jay Walker in the house. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, sir. Have you ever, as great as you are at play-by-play, have you ever ever called like a horse race? No. That is a talent. There are some things, like I can watch sports and it's easy for me to be like, well, I can't do that. Well, of course I can't. These are professional players. But, like, we're in broadcasting. Yeah. And there are some broadcasters where I see them and I'm like, I couldn't do that. No, Larry I, Collum doing the Kentucky Derby, I'm like, how? How? I, um, no, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. His last, this is just the last 23 seconds from NBC Sports. But it sounds like he's at his highest octave and then he gets even louder when rich strike comes in and get, keep in bear in mind this is after like two and a half minutes of just boom 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 epicenter and sanded these two strike for strike simplification now the outside is next they're coming down to the wire epicenter sanded rich strike is coming up on the inside oh my goodness the longest shot has won the kentucky derby rich strike That's that's a tough call to make, and he he did it like it was nothing. And you can hear the surprise in his voice. It's totally authentic. No, it, well, it is because he was spending so much of his time watching the two favorites getting after each other. It was like, I watched the drone footage later. I didn't get to see the race as it wow. happened. And it it's like... Okay, dude, you didn't see this coming, <laughs> you know, because it wasn't until he the the horse passed the other two that he had that he said his name. It's the only time Rich Strike was mentioned by him prior to that was when the horses are coming up at the first half mile. He is saying every single horse, right? So he's going down the line, and he it was like a half a second, and up there is Rich Strike, followed by the last two, blah blah blah, and that was it. No way that dude's thinking I'm going to be saying Rich Strike again. Eighty to one got me. Got me romanticizing is probably the best way to put it about some of the great upsets because that is one of the biggest upsets ever. Um, when you think upset, other than Miracle on Ice, that's the go-to, right? What's the next thing that comes to your mind? You know, when I when I think when I think of upsets, what I what comes to mind usually first is Villanova beating Georgetown in uh, in the finals of the NCAA tournament in 1985. And it's funny you should ask that because last night I had never seen the um, ESPN special Requiem for the Big East. 
and I watched it last night. Nice. And uh, and so that brought it back, back to it top of mind. Yeah. It, um, it's just crazy. I miss old Big East basketball. Like the old Big East, and there was a lot of teams, but it was it was the best college basketball. Oh, absolutely. It was the best. Absolutely. Um, and, and the crazy thing is it took them about three years to win a championship. It took the Big East about three years because they were all independents, um, loosely in, in, in a thing that wasn't really a conference. It was just called the ECAC. And they lost their automatic bid. They, they were getting three bids, and they lost the automatic bids. And Dave Gavitt said, we got to do something about this. So they, they, formed, they formed a conference. Little did they know. Little did they know is right. And now, what's now? Now the Big East is football has changed it so much, but it, it wasn't that long ago that it was still. I mean, you and I used to come on bird's eye view, and we would just talk Big East basketball. Yeah, yeah. You know? That you know the 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 faces changed, and there were additions, and you know, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, West Virginia's in there, and all of these football schools. But you know, originally it was not a football conference. They wound up having to add football at some point in time. But it was a bunch of private schools in UConn at the beginning. So now it's Providence, Villanova, UConn, Creighton, Seton Hall, Marquette, Xavier, St. John's, DePaul, Butler, and Georgetown. It's still Georgetown. Oof, I didn't realize they went 0-19 in conference. Six. Um, I was trying to do the quick math. Six of the original Big East schools. It's not the same. No. There's 11 now. And there was one point where there were like, what, 16 in there? And, and even South Florida was in it. But it was still so good and from a college basketball standpoint. I mean, West, when, West, when West Virginia got really good, I just – there was a stretch there in the, in the early to mid-2000 – basically the first decade of the 2000s where late – I'd say 95 to 2010, that's when I would watch a lot of college basketball. When Big East was on ESPN, I'm like, I'm in. I don't care who it is. I'm in. I'm watching. It was a. Uh, it was a great league. I um, you know, I'm, you brought up Villanova Georgetown, and I was having a discussion with some of the callers last hour, and one of the listeners brought up. He's like, "What you know, the Cavaliers being down to the Super Warriors team three games to one, coming back and winning, that's." Obvious, no one, no one saw that coming. It's obviously huge upset, but why don't we think of that? It's like that's a good question. Um, I think two things. One, when you get to a championship situation, you have to have one team that's so heavily favored for it to be remembered as an all-time upset, um, like Villanova, Georgetown, Giants, Patriots. Right? Those are because in a lot of cases you can have an upset. But it's not as memorable because both teams are really good. Now, in this case, the Warriors were a heavy favorite. So why don't we think of it? And I think it has to do with series, right? When it's a long series, it's viewed... Like if a team wins a championship and they're a heavy underdog and they go through multiple series, you remember the team more than the games. For instance, Fresno State, oh wait, right? College baseball. Right. I don't remember any of the specific games they played, but I remember that team. 
I, I don't know why we don't think of that Cavs win. Maybe it's because they had LeBron James on their team. It's hard to think of them as some gigantic underdog. But there's something different about how we view each. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a media-driven thing either. I think it's how does the public react in the moment, and that it, that tells you whether it's going to be remembered all time. I mean, we came in the day after the Super Bowl when the the the, the Giants beat the Patriots, and it was like we knew. This is going to be one that people remember forever based on how big of an upset it was. Yeah, I I think you bring up a good point about the series. Uh, you know, the, you don't look at because in a seven-game series, yeah, there are upsets. But by the time you win four games to three, you've earned, you've really earned it. And I don't. I don't think about World Series upsets. I yeah. don't think about um, NBA upsets. I don't. People when people bring up NBA playoff upsets, they usually bring up Denver, Seattle. Back when that was only a five game first round back in the day, um, McTumbo's holding the ball. They were Seattle was the one seed. Yeah, there's been other eight seeds that won, but usually it's it's just a matchup deal. Mm-hmm. Like when the Warriors beat the beat the Mavs and. You know, the Knicks did it to the Heat a few times way back in the day when those teams hated each other. But it's more of a matchup thing than, oh, my God, I I can't believe this happened. It's kind of like going into it like this is just a really bad matchup for this team. And I get the seeding aspect of it. When you get in those one-game situations or when you get in a boxing match, right, um, those are the moments where it's like, okay, anything can happen. Villanova, Georgetown, single game. There is no way in hell. If they had played a best of seven series, Georgetown would have won four games to one. Oh, absolutely. But Villanova shot 60% or No, they shot 70%. 70% from the field. Back in the day, they were hitting tons of threes. Mm -hmm. Back in the day when it was still a a big man's game. It wasn't like teams were shooting from the outside like that. But Villanova just had their best shooting night ever. What did they win? By by a bucket? Uh, Yeah, they they won by a bucket. And, you know, you had... You know, it's not like they were a bunch of dogs or anything. You know, Ed Pinckney was their center. He was pretty good. But Georgetown was coming off a national championship. They had won it the year before. Heavily favored to do it again. Hoya Paranoia was at its height. Uh, Georgetown was the biggest selling apparel school and it wasn't even close. It was everywhere in the 80s. It huh? was everywhere. And Villanova was an eight seed. And Georgetown had cleaned their clock during the season. One game. Raleigh Massimino, baby. One game. What about NC State's win over Houston? That was big, too. That was big, too. I, I You know, North Carolina State was a six seed. Okay, so... That was, you know, it, it was a, it was an upset, but they beat five slamma jamma. And that's why everybody just goes, oh my God, because everybody thought that was the best team on the planet. And, and so you have that. And then the next year, Georgetown beats five slamma jamma. And then Villanova comes out of nowhere. Rich, Ra- Raleigh, Rich Strike, Massimino. How is, um, where do you think the five slam jamma Houston teams rank is as far as best teams to not win it all go? Oh gosh, they might be the best team never to win it. I'm, I mean, like across the board in sports, because in college hoops, they they might be number one. I mean, in, well, that's they, what they I was it, thinking. It was it, college hoops. They had yeah. it twice. You know, it's like you got 
How did you? I, until you reminded me a few weeks ago, in my mind, I felt like they had actually won one. No, my God, they didn't. They March were, Madness, man, it's so hard. Man, and they were so good. No championship. Clyde Drexler and Akeem Olajuwon. No cheese. Oh, no championship. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Uh, Jay Walker in studio. He is heading to Houston today, Texas road trip for the Cajun baseball team at Rice tonight and tomorrow, and then at Texas State this weekend. Talking about something that you love talking about, I say sarcastically, RPI. I was talking to Coach Matt Deggs yesterday and just about chasing something that you don't have full control over. And he he pointed out to me that when you get 15 road wins in the past, it seems to be a big, a big thing for the committee. Everyone's focusing on RPI and, well, Rice doesn't have a good one. I know Texas State really does. And if you can do this and that, I'm thinking, go get some road wins here because you get these are your last five road games, true road games of the regular season. Get to that 15 mark and that, that's not just going to help your RPI, but I think it 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 bolsters your resume to yeah. a different you know sort of in a different box. I I've I've said it numerous times in the last couple of weeks. If it was all about RPI, we wouldn't need a selection committee. You know, RPI is important. Don't get me wrong, but you know, oh, that hurt our RPI. You know, just go play, and you'll find out at the end if it's good enough or not. You know, I mean that's that's all you can do. You know, the, the Cajuns, um, folks point out that the Cajuns swept over the weekend and their RPI dropped. Mm-hmm. Well, the RPI dropped in part because you played a team with a bad record. And you played them at home so you, didn't, so you don't get juice like you'll get juice if you go to Rice and win. Um, but also, Cajun opponents had a bad weekend. And 50% of your RPI is your opponent's record. You know, Louisiana Tech dropped two out of three. Southern Miss dropped two out of three. Cal Irvine dropped two out of three. Um, Somebody got swept. I don't remember who it was. Uh, uh, But it was a bad weekend. So that affected the RPI. So, you know, go play, win the games that you have control over. I was talking, he also pointed out to me, he's like, here's something I can't figure out. He said, you need your opponents to do well to help you, but coaches are always sharing scouting reports. It's like, it's like, I said, well, one of those has probably been around longer than the other, saying sharing scouting reports as far as the RPI. He's like, I feel like that's probably something that's been around college baseball forever. He's like, yeah, it has. You got, what, 301 teams in D1 baseball? How many of those teams are, are are focusing on RPI throughout a season? A lot of them aren't. Some are, the ones at the top, but a lot of them aren't. I said, you know, they're just thinking about helping each other out. And I said, what's your philosophy? He said, case by case. Someone calls and asks for a scouting report. It's always a case by case basis. Um, the game within the game, man. I mean, there's so many things that happen away from the diamond before game day. But for this team... Tell you what, man, a lot of, lot of different guys got to play. A lot of it was matchup-based, and as Coach Deggs likes to say, sometimes it just goes with his gut. It works sometimes. Sometimes it gets him in trouble. Um, but well, you saw you saw over the weekend they got the sweep, and he they got, made the changes, and, and it worked against UTA. He, he went with his gut, and 
it worked and didn't work in the same game. You know, on Sunday, he went back to what I call the more traditional lineup with Marshak in the in the leadoff spot, Tyler Robertson hitting second, DeBarge third, Rockefort fourth. I mean, he did, he did that a good part of the year. Well, the top three went 0 for 12, or 0 for 12 got on base once. But he also inserted Trey LaFleur in the lineup, down in the lineup with... Um, with Brock and um, Hood, and they combined for nine hits. So you look in the at the game. bottom of the lineup; that's where all the hits. So, were. so he 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 went with his gut, and and it worked and didn't work in the same game. <laughs> hey, in the end, they got the wins. Yeah, they did. All close, just just win. You know. You look at if you look at um, if you look at baseball, and you don't look at look at it through baseball eyes, the game will drive you crazy. Because here you are, you're playing a team that's 18 games under 500, mm-hmm. and you win each game by one run, one in extra innings too, and one of them in extra innings, and. Oh, how does that happen? We should we should kill this team. You know, there's a reason why at one position he stands 10 inches taller than everybody else. And if you got an arm and he has a good day, you're going to have to battle your butt off in order to win. And And I'll give the pitchers from UTA credit because... The, the guy on Friday was just really good, but we knew that ahead of time. But the Saturday and Sunday guys had been kind of up and down. They both had good starts. And as a result... You're in a dogfight. You're in a dogfight. Yeah, I was talking with Top. Seems like Mavs have five arms that are worth assault, but four of those five are, as you put it, very up and down. They were all on Yep. over the weekend. Yep. And so Cajuns battled, but uh, they got Rice... Tonight, 6.30, 6 o'clock pregame. Tomorrow night, 6.30, 6 o'clock pregame. And then 6, 4, and 1 pregame 30 minutes prior to this weekend in San Marcos against Texas State, who I believe is 38 currently in the RPI and uh, atop the Sunbelt Conference. Cajuns in third, but between 1 and 4 in the Sunbelt. You're separated by three and a half games. Two weekend series left. Still a lot to play for. And... Um, Still a chance to, to win the regular season title, but you just want to be playing your best ball as you head to Montgomery. That's really what you want to do right now. Do you feel like they're playing their best baseball right now? At least to this point, or did you see a stretch this season where they were they were better? No, I, I didn't see a stretch this year where they were better. Here's the here's the statistic that impresses me. The Cajuns are going for their eighth consecutive series win. All right, now, the Cajuns haven't done that since 2014. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been done in the league since 2017 when Georgia Southern did it. Eight consecutive series wins. Now, and all people want to talk about is the games you lost during that time. Oh, we should have swept. Well, if if you make it eight against the team you're about to play on the road, everybody should be happy. Oh, no, I... This tech... Texas State is tough, man. 
they're they're good and and they're especially good in their own ballpark. Mm-hmm. You know, this team's hit almost 70 home runs this year, but 70% of them or more have been done at their ballpark where the wind almost always is blowing out. Well, you know, the Cajuns have some power in their lineup too. And you know, I think if the Cajuns played at Bobcat Ballpark, they'd probably have 70 home runs also. So, you know, the the pitching, I think, is going to decide it. The teams that pitch the best are going to win. Just my thought. Might be wrong. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Um, real quick, talked a little Cajun softball last hour, but uh, when you know you're in a regional, you know you're not hosting, you're going into the conference tournament. Does that impact the team looking ahead, or is this team just better than everyone else and it won't matter? Well, they are better than everyone else. It doesn't mean that you can't stub your toe. I mean, they did lose four conference games, and two of them were, three of them were the teams in the second division. Um, but I don't know with this particular team. Because for this particular team, the majority of them are playing in their first conference tournament, their first Sunbelt Conference tournament. I got to tell you something. I, I said one time several years ago, never take championships for granted in softball. Never take them for granted. Every one of them is special. All 18 of them. Never downplay a championship. Ho-hum, another champ. Somebody said that I wanted to dope pop them. It, this might be the most impressive championship that softball has won. When you look at that team at the beginning of this season, and then you look at them now and see how far they have come in every facet of the game, this championship's the most impressive one I can remember. Injuries, lineup changes, youth, newcomers. All of all of the above. Uh, Melissa Mayu yesterday named the Sunbelt Player I, of the I Year. I think that is so cool. She can do it all. She she does it all. And she, uh, she, she, she she earned it. She, oh, she had an amazing season. Uh, Jordan Campbell, the sophomore infielder who had transferred from A&M. Um, she is the Sunbelt Newcomer of the Year. There were nine total players that had all Sunbelt honors for the softball team that led the league. Uh, Campbell and Mayu, obviously, first team. They were joined by Sophie Piscos and Carly Heath. Second team included Sam Landry, Can- Kendra Lamb, Alexa Langliers, Maddie Hayden, and Stormy Kotzelnik, who has really, really come on as of late for them. And um, Coach Glasgow told me yesterday, he's like, the great thing is she's still got three more years after this one. That's so it. this is a youthful team, and, um, and we'll see how far they get this year. But they've they got they got some good young players that I think the majority of which will be will be around for a while, and that's that's exciting for the Rage of Cajun softball team. But uh, they'll be on the air tomorrow morning, ten a.m., nine forty-five pregame against the winner of ULM and Coastal Carolina, who will play later today. And then uh, if the Cajuns keep winning, they'll play at 9 each morning. If not, they'll go into the double elimination part of the bracket, and uh, we'll keep you up to date on when they play. But uh, I know they're hoping to play 10, 10, 10, and then 12.30 Saturday. That's the goal. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports when we come back. 
It's time for Terrible Tune Tuesday on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. That's me. There's the pitch, swung on, and a ball hit to right and drops for a base hit. Here comes Hood. Here comes the throw. Cajuns win. Cajuns win. Cajuns win. Trey LaFleur with his third hit of the game. And Louisiana gets the sweep over UTA. Six to five in 11 innings. What's up, Acadiana? This is Rich Eisen. Check out the Rich Eisen Show every weekday from noon to 3. Get your sports fix right here on ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. He peaked athletically in the seventh grade. Do you know what a hero you are to me? I presume you're referring to my four touchdowns in one game. It's the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather on ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. You're hurting me. Welcome back to the Great Scott Show. On a Tuesday, Jay Walker, Scott Prather, hanging out with you. Morton Anderson and Brian Hansen giving us some tunes in the background. It's time for Terrible Tune Tuesday. You've been warned. This morning, I know we're both going back to decades when we were teens, only you're going to the decade when I've spent a lot of my teen years, yeah. and I'm going to the decade where you spent a lot of your teen years. That's it. Why don't you lead us off this week, Mr. Walker? All right, this uh, this band is considered to be a ska punk band from Orange County, California. And they got some uh, mainstream recognition, late 90s. Um, had a, an album called uh, Turn the Radio Off. And honestly, um, every time I hear this song, that's what I do. I turned the but radio not off. Not today, anybody. But Keep not it here. Today. Um I you know, I just the first time I heard this song, I said, Why 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 are people playing this song? Because it didn't sound like anything else. And you know, I I American bandstand would give it a about a twenty because it doesn't have a good beat, and it's not easy to dance to. A walking bass line with rhythms off beat. There you go. Now, that is an entire genre of music that some people really enjoy, particularly in America in the 90s. Uh, yes, yes. So this band, this is uh, the only hit record they had, although they did release tons of music. And amazingly, this was a hit. band's called Real Big Fish. And uh, the tune... Is called Sell Out on Terrible Tune Tuesday.
you to hear. Tell me it's cool. I just don't believe it. Sell out with me. Oh, yeah. Sell out with me tonight. The record companies only give me lots of money and everything's gonna be against real big fish jay i i just did uh, you just it hates, just didn't it you just, just hate ska music it just it just didn't work for me sorry what do you dislike more ska or disco oh i would listen to ska all day before i'd listen to disco okay so terrible but not the most terrible there. no i as a matter of fact i think the instrumentation in the song is good you just don't like that <laughs> i i know <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, no. ESPN Live. All right, so Jay went back to 96. I'm going to go back to 1968. Uh, this is what church folk in the 60s called devil music. Yep. <laughs> this is what church folks in 2022 call devil music. Yep. This is what I call I mean, I don't, I don't know that I call it. I would, I, there, look. This is not something that I would ever listen to. I, there is an element of 
a demonic element to it all. But, you know, he was selling records. I'm not excusing it. It is what it is. This artist uh, from London, I believe that's where he's from. He's, from, he's not from the U.S. Um, he, he, he was English, yes. Though this song reached number two in the U.S., number one in the U.K., number one in Canada. He released three singles in the 60s. The first was called Devil's Grip. The third was called Nightmare. The second was this one. Say your prayers after you hear this, guys. From 1968 on Terrible Tune Tuesday, this is Fire by the crazy world of Arthur Brown. I am the god of hellfire, and I bring you fire. He was he was known for being, you know, very flamboyant. That, that, he was Ozzy Osbourne before Ozzy Osbourne was Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne went, went on to cover that song. I, I, it does not surprise me one bit. 
this cat, I, I didn't know anything about him until I, I heard this song and I was like, oh, this is this is TTT right here. He I, I put, wore a helmet that had, because he, he, he basically dressed like a devil, uh-huh. put his face paint on and he would wear a helmet that had a flame coming out of the top of it. Um, but when I read into it, apparently it did not, um, this was 1968. The technology isn't what it is now. And he would just literally like burn his head, not like to a crisp, but like the, what, whatever the contraption was, it wasn't like his, his head. And I, I don't know, maybe it helped him get into it. Maybe he liked it, but holy cow, dude, the helmet, this is, this is from Wikipedia. The helmet was improvised with a leather skull cap onto which was bolted a metal dish that held lighter fluid or patrol. As the cap was not insulated, the heat from the burning fuel quickly conducted through the fixing bolt to the top of Brown's head, causing him considerable pain. That was referenced in uh, an article from Polly Marshall in 2005 called The God of Hellfire, The Crazy Life and Times of Arthur Brown, who um, is still alive today. Mm Mm-hmm. Still, you think he performs at 79 years old? Uh, no, I doubt that. Man, maybe he's maybe he's praying to go to the other place now. <laughs> maybe he's turned his life around. <laughs> that is going to do it for this edition of Terrible Tim. Tuesday. Uh-huh. When we come back, a couple of listener submissions of some of the great upsets in the history of sports. I'm Scott, that's Jay. We're back right after this. The biggest names in sports are talking to you every day on the Rich Eisen Show with me, Rich Eisen. I know! Every weekday from noon to three, right here on ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Boom, boom, boom. Now let me hear you say, way ho. Way ho. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When I was a little girl, my best friend in the whole wide world. Well, welcome back. Into the great Scott show. Scott Prather, my friend Jay Walker in studio with me. PTT in the books. We talked uh, Diamond Sports, RPI, upsets in the world of sports. Rich Strike got me romanticizing about the great upsets in sports. They had a $179 million bet at Churchill Downs on that race. Wow. Only... 500,000 was bet on Rich Strike. You think they did okay? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you you take okay, 100 bucks. Put it on the horse's nose and there you go. Just done. The Seahawks and Bears are eighty to one to win the Super Bowl next year. Would you place a hundred bucks on either of them? Uh, that would be a no. No, right? It's like, yeah, you could you could go up. It's just 
80 to 1 doesn't happen. Second longest odds ever at the Kentucky Derby. The longest ever was before any of us were born. It was back in 1913. I mean, that's the year after the Titanic sunk. This thing was the fourth alternate to get in 30 seconds before. Hey, there's an opening. Will you race? Yeah. Then it wins the thing. Then the horse is out there biting other horses after it wins. And, like, I think the trainer had to literally, like, punch it in the head to get it to calm down. You got a bad boy horse that's like, he just needs to go to Vegas. Forget about the Preakness of Belmont. Just go live it up. Just stud the rest of your life because it's never going to be better than that, Rich Strike. Horse is living it up. It was amazing. No, someone said, oh, you think they're going to win some more? I'm like, if this horse were to win the Triple Crown, that would be like UMBC winning the national championship, not beating Virginia. Like, it's it's not going to happen. But we got some listener submissions. Um, Villanova, Georgetown, you brought it up. App State beating Michigan in football, man. Um, That was what, opening game of 07, I think? Yep. 2007 season. App is an FCS school at the time. Michigan's number five, and they go into the big house and beat them. Now, I can't say what I'm about to say without it sounding like I'm diminishing what they did, but they were in the middle of three straight FCS championships. I mean, it's not like they were a plug FCS team. They no, were, no, they they were, were the best FCS team. They were good. Today, okay, if North Dakota State went somewhere and won, people wouldn't consider it to be that huge an upset. Michigan went on that season. They lost their first two games. Yep. They were still in shock from the first week, and then they got, you know, they went to Oregon and got beat pretty bad the next. But then they won, like, Ten in a row or eight. In a, they they I think they weren't they finished a, nine and three. They weren't a bad team that year. No, they weren't. Uh, nine and nine, I, I, let me look it up. I think it was nine and four. Nine and four. They beat Florida in uh, in the Capital One Bowl. Uh, they finished eighteenth in the country that year. So it, sometimes you'll see one of these big upsets early, and then it turns out, oh, that team actually stinks. This right. wasn't the case. I mean, App State beat a good team, but um. Yeah, college football upsets. I, I'm trying to think of the first one that comes to my mind. I mean, when Stanford beat USC, when Jim Harbaugh was the coach at Stanford and almost got in a fight with Pete Carroll after, Jim Harbaugh always, he just, he just wants to fight all the time. They were a 41-point underdog. That's When you cover the spread by like 50 points, I would say that qualifies you as one of the great upsets. Could UFC been slightly overrated that year? I suppose, but 41 points is 41 points. That is correct. ESPN Lafayette. What, when it comes to UL slash USL, everyone remembers the A&M game. A&M that season ended up being average. Um, is that an upset in your mind like what what is the biggest upset for for UL football historically in your mind i mean it, that's the one that people are going to think of and in the moment certainly it was it's remembered as such but is it the biggest well it's the biggest name okay it's the biggest name there's not a doubt in my mind the cajuns went over iowa state a couple of years ago was a much bigger win because they were a much better team on the road 
on the road. And um, and that is a team that won the Big 12 regular season championship. And the Fiesta Bowl. And the Fiesta Bowl. So, um, I, really, I don't think there's any comparison. But people are going to say A&M because, first of all, a lot of people were there because it was played in Lafayette. And it was Texas A&M. Now, what was USL's record at the end of that 96 season? Five and six. Neither of those teams went on to have the seasons they thought they were after that moment. My point is, I think UL's win over Iowa State, both of those teams were were better than what happened in 96. Now, the moment in 96, undoubtedly, it, it was... You could argue what was a bigger moment for the program in their history, and I think based on what happened after 96, you would say the Iowa State win. But just in terms of, like, euphoric emotion, 96 will always just be that one that people... I mean, I, I, I wasn't there, but I know a lot of people who say they were. And they'll talk, they talk about it like it happened last week, Jay. You know, the, the, the headline in the newspaper said, Raging Cajun Miracle. Well, you know, Texas A&M was 6-6 six and six that year. You know, they, they, they had lost their first game, and I think it was at BYU, and dropped all the way to number 25, which is where they were when the Cajuns beat them. And then they, you know, they didn't come close to sniffing anything the rest of the year. But what a moment. Oh, it was a great moment. What a moment. Upsets. That's why you and I say we don't crown the best. We crown champions. That's it. Because if you crown the best team in sports, then there'd be no such thing as an upset. Absolutely correct. Love upsets in sports. Unless it's happening to the team you're rooting for, that's never fun. But when you're on the right side of an upset, there's nothing like it. Well, I'll tell you, you know, that that super regional in South Carolina was about as ecstatic that that's the most ecstatic I've ever been covering a sporting event. You know, it's still, you know, I, I did a, a countdown after like 20 years and it, and it was number one. It's still number one. You remember the feeling. Oh, that's Jay Walker. You'll hear him tonight, six o'clock pregame right here on ESPN Lafayette. Uh, he and Brad Topham in Houston calling raging Cajun baseball tonight and tomorrow. And then this weekend, on News Talk 96.5 KPL, powered by Learfield. That is Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 6 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 1 o'clock, pregame, 30 minutes prior. Safe travels, my friend. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for having me. All right. As always. Everybody, if you listen to Fire, go say your prayers. I'll talk to you tomorrow on ESPN Lafayette. Dan Patrick shows next. <laughs>